0: Now, just to remind you where where we've been, of course, we've been working our way all the way through Romans, we're not going to go all the way back to the beginning, but just in terms of Romans 8, uh, we began with that first uh, amazing proclamation, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus. And then he begins to explain that. This is such a turning point in uh, this uh, great book of Romans. And and so as he explains it, uh, of course, every verse in there is essential, but you move down to uh, verse 5. It says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And, and Paul uh, began to uh, expand on that in terms of what that means for, for the believer. And then in verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh. And so he gives this reminder to uh, believers, you're not in the flesh but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So uh, speaking of the theology of the Trinity, here we have God's Holy Spirit uh, as the one that actually dwells within believers. If you don't have if you don't have his Holy Spirit, then you don't belong to Christ. And he's giving the, the outward evidences of that, but he's going he's to go inward here as well. And so, down in verse 12, he says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if... By the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. You will live. And and then we get to our, our passage for today. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. You remind us, O oh Lord, of our identity. If we really are in Christ. And you remind us, Lord, of our lack of identity if we are outside of Christ. And so today, will you continue to teach us? Will you peel back those layers of our heart or our mind that? that may be keeping us from from knowing you in a deeper way. We, We are incapable of doing that ourselves. We can't focus even for a moment. But your spirit can give us focus. And so we ask for that. In the precious name of Jesus... Oh man! So let's go to immediately, even as we have prayed, to the idea of our our identity as children of God. Now let me just stipulate at the very front end: the only way we're uh, children of God is if we're trusting in Jesus Christ alone for our eternal life. Now that may come as a shock to some of you. Because there are many that, that love to teach and love to think that, well, you know, everybody, everybody's a child of God and, and we're all Brothers. Everybody in this world is a child of God. Now let's think that through, though. There there is, and this is is perfectly biblical, there is that truth that every human being is in the image of God. And, And that's where value is. It doesn't matter if if you're a Christian in those terms. It doesn't matter what you believe. If you are are a human being, you are in the image of God and therefore you, you have value because of that. But the Scripture then makes a distinction and it doesn't call those who are outside of Christ, it doesn't uh, uh, enable them to call God their Father. And so, with the Scripture being our guideline, because it's what God says is uh, what we may or, or, or may not do, what we may or may not believe about Him, He's revealed it, then we have to see the The falsehood in that view that, well, just everybody out here are are all brothers and so we're all just fine. But instead, there is a family of those who are in Christ. R.C. Sproul says, to be a member in good standing in the family of God is a privilege never to be passively assumed or taken for granted. So, so one can't say, well, I, I guess I'm a Christian, I must be, I'm, well, I'm here in church. Doesn't that make me a Christian? Or, or maybe one might say, well, my parents were Christians, their parents before them were Christians. That was what I thought until I came to Christ. I, if somebody had asked me if I was a Christian, I'd say, yeah, sure, sure. And if they say, why, why do you say you're a Christian? Well, my parents are Christians. And it wasn't until I was confronted with, well, that's, that's not sufficient. That's, you know, you, you can't, as Sproul says, you can't be passive in that. You don't inherit that. <clears throat> you don't become a Christian just because you're, you're born. So why is that important? Well, you know that I love to address our congregation as children of the living God. You know, I love that phrase. But it's because us understanding our identity, who we are in Christ, who we are a child of, makes a profound impact upon how we are to act. And if we have a misunderstanding in that area, it's going to impact uh, our behavior. A a child acts entirely different than a slave. And a, a child acts different than an orphan who just happens to be in a home, or around a family. Now let me me put together a a fictional character for you that we're going to get to know a little bit today. I'm going to call him Tobias, just because that's a good Jewish name. And so if anybody here is named Tobias or Toby, this isn't about you, so don't, don't worry. Uh, Tobias is a slave in Bible times. His parents were slaves, and their parents were slaves, and so on, back as far as he was aware of. He had no illusion in his mind that he would ever be anything but a slave. Because there was basically no way out. He had a certain role in life. And he accepted that role. It governed what he could say. It governed where he could go. It governed even how he would say whatever he was permitted to say. It governed what was expected of him and what was acceptable for him. And never, never could he cross those parameters without there being severe consequences. Maybe deadly consequences. Now let's move through this passage. Puts Tobias on the side burner for just a moment. Paul talks about uh, freedom, not bondage. Look at uh, the first part of verse 15. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Now here's the implication. You don't even have to go far to get this implication. When one is a slave, there is fear. Well, fear of what? Well, for a slave, ultimately it's fear of everything. Let's think of Tobias. At all times, he was at the mercy of his master. If he said something wrong, his master would punish him. Fear was a characteristic of his life at every point. What if I don't obey correctly or completely enough? What if I misunderstood what I was told to do? He had seen the consequences of that, and he probably had felt them many times. So not only is he a slave physically, he is a slave emotionally. Paul says here, for the believer, a slave is what you were. Not what you are. Fear is what you experienced, not what you need to feel now. Because things are different if you're in Christ. You have a freedom because of the Holy Spirit, and that's what He's he's saying here in fact so far are you from slavery and therefore you should be from living a life of fear so far are you from that you have actually been adopted he's speaking to believers here those trusting in Christ alone for their eternal life look at the second part of verse 15 rather he says after he tells them not to uh, live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Adoption to sonship. Now, in our Westminster Shorter Catechism, and if you're new to us, this, that's a part of our standards. It's not, it's not the Bible. We think it's a good summary of the Bible. And the Shorter Catechism is just a question-answer Uh, that they used to use for children, and now, uh, uh, you know, pastors use these now. Um, I don't know what that says about our our pastors or anything, but uh, it's question-answer. And in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the question is, what is adoption? And here's the answer. Adoption is an act of God's free grace, whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. Now, why does Paul use the term adoption? One Bible commentator, F.F. Bruce, says this. The term adoption may smack somewhat of artificiality in our ears. But in the first century A.D., an adopted son was a son deliberately chosen by his adoptive father to perpetuate his name and inherit his estate. He was no whit inferior in status to a son born in the ordinary course of nature and might well enjoy the father's affection more fully and reproduce the Father's character more worthily. So that's why he uses that term adoption. Now to understand how radical that was not only, only uh, then, but he, for us as well, remember we're applying this to us. Let's go back to our friend Tobias the Slave. He's living in fear. He's living without any hope or even any thought of having hope to ever be able to change his circumstances. That's not going to happen. He knows that. He's okay with that. Imagine that the master of Tobias comes in and he says this. Tobias? I'm going to set you free. What? I am going to set you free. It'd be overwhelming. But he doesn't stop there. He says in fact, you 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 could have the freedom to go. But not only are you going to be free, I'm going to make you my son. Tobias, the slave, me? Why would you do that? What could possibly cause you to want to do that? To where the father chooses not to be the master but to make him his son and say, this is what you need to know. Because you're going to be my son, you're going to be the heir to everything my other sons are heirs to. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Bottom line, when we, when, when believers are uh, adopted, when we become children of the living God, we're no longer a slave and no longer an orphan. And those were both. Both of those things were our identity before Christ. That's why he says, don't go back to that. Don't go back to that fear of a slave or an orphan. He gives another benefit and that's personal closeness with God. The third part of verse 15, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Now here's what we need to know about that. Nowhere in the Old Testament will you find a Jew calling God Father. That came because of the incarnation, because of Christ and because of this doctrine that we are talking about. Now, that, that word Abba, you've maybe heard this before. It's an Aramaic word. And the closest thing most, most uh, linguists think in our language would probably be like calling him daddy. Ooh, You know, other religions just shudder at that can't talk to God that way? Well, I would say, you know, you're right. Unless he gives you permission. And then if he says, for you, my children, that's my name, we can talk to God that way. Who is this for? It's for the person who never knew their father or never had any kind of a positive relationship with their father. It's for that person. And it's for the the person who did. For You whose fathers are gone now. And it's also for the person who who had a wonderful relationship with his father. Her father. And so knows just a taste of how wonderful this relationship should be. But the amazing thing is that we have it with the God of the universe, who is not some impersonal God somewhere out there. He says, call me Abba. Over Christmas, we had uh, our seven grandchildren with us. Oh yeah, their parents were there too, anyway. (laughs) And on Christmas Day, from then on, we, we were housing and feeding seven, 17 people, okay? And it was, it was great. In fact, I think the pictures have started over there. They'll work their way around of all my grandchildren. But let me tell you about just one, uh, one of them. Our son, Nathan, has three girls and a boy. The third girl is a two-year-old named Rosanna. And... Rosanna really loves her daddy. Now, they all do, but one of, one of her sisters told me at one point, she said, yeah, Rosanna likes daddy better than mommy, <laughs> you know. <laughs> what was fun about Rosanna, though, was that we would hear her say, I need my daddy. Wasn't I want daddy or I wasn't daddy. She would say that now it might be because of some argument or a disappointment or something good. It could be for any reason whatsoever. And you know what? If, if he was in the house and he heard that, he went to his Rosanna. To me, What a beautiful picture of what this is saying about us. If you're in Christ, the Father has said this Cry out, I need my Abba, and He will respond. Now he goes on, Paul does, and talks about our security. Verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So the work of the Holy Spirit is not only to give us a new heart for salvation. That's that's his work. But then he sets up his dwelling in that new heart. But he is also to assure us that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, is actually there. And because of that, we are a child of God himself. He testifies with our spirit. And then he goes on in verse 17 and and tells us that we have a share in everything. We just have a share in everything from God. Now he says in verse 17 <coughs> if we are children then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Now to simply say we are heirs was not enough wasn't specific enough for the Apostle Paul. The question would have had to come if he had just said we're, we're heirs question would have come, well, what's that mean? What are we getting? What do we inherit? And so he answers, you're not just heirs. Let me put it this way to you. You're a co-heir. Oh, good, we're co-heirs. We all get the same thing. With Christ. Now, if I'm a co-heir with you, great. What do we both get? But he's saying, You want to know what you inherit? You are entitled to everything that Jesus Christ is entitled to. It's yours in this life and the next. That's the benefit. That's what it is to be adopted into the family. We are as much sons of God as Jesus Christ is a son of God. Every bit as much. One more time, back to Tobias, the slave, who was adopted. If that wouldn't have been stunning enough for him to hear, oh, I get to live in the home with you, great. Then he's told this. Well, you're entitled to everything my other sons are entitled to. No argument. You get it all. Now and in the future. But there's an application here where he goes on and says, if indeed we share in his sufferings, What is that? Sharing his sufferings? Well, in the passage next week, we're going to be talking more about suffering. That's, that's the one that we will need, need to, to talk further about that. But just for now, Paul is acknowledging that we share, if, if we're co-heirs with him, we share in his sufferings. Now, in terms of that, let's be very clear, there is no merit whatsoever for any suffering we ever go through. Get that, put that out of your mind. Some religions say, no, though, you know, if you suffer, that earns you favor with God. Christianity says, no way. Because Christ has suffered once for all. But if we identify with Him, there will He says, he promises, there will in this life be times of suffering. In this life, not in the future, but in this life. And what that does is that that just confirms we're a part of him. If you suffer, why should you be surprised? Because I suffered before you. It identifies us with him. Now, other than on the cross itself, I believe that uh, one of Jesus' greatest moments of distress was in the Garden of Gethsemane. When we went to Israel, we went, we went to that garden. And it's just, of course, it's perfectly manicured and beautiful, overlooking the city. It's just hard to picture what, what went on. It was, for me at least, what, what actually went on there because it's a peaceful setting. But here's what, what we hear went on in that garden before the crucifixion. This is for Mark. He took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. This is Jesus. And he said to them, my soul is sorrowful even to death. That's where Jesus was at that point. I believe, I can't prove this, but I believe he was under such duress that he wasn't even sure he would make it to the cross. He knew what was coming. And then he told his disciples, remain here and watch. And going a little uh, farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it, were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, but not what I will, but what you will. In the moment of Jesus' greatest distress, his greatest comfort, that which came to his lips, was that he could call his father Abba. And nothing he would go through would change that. Because we are co-heirs with him that same comfort is available to us. The God of the universe says, if you are in Christ Jesus, call me Abba.